I want to say hello to our Groves family, those that are uh, with us as we continue to progress towards a big launch day. Uh, thank you guys for the flexibility that you're showing as we have now gone into construction mode there at the Groves campus, demoing some walls and some fun stuff like that. We'll get into that after a while. I want to share some of that, uh, some of that progress on all of our campuses here in a few minutes. But I'm jumping into this to this eighth installment of the series called When in Rome, all through this letter to the Christians in Rome by the Apostle Paul. And I want to start by saying, do you remember what it was like going into middle school for the first time? Uh, you went from elementary to middle school, how, how intimidating that could have felt. I've talked to two kiddos, uh, one last year, one just a couple weeks ago. They said the exact same thing. I said, are you excited about sixth grade? And they said, I said, what are, you, what are you most excited about? What are you most worried about? And both of them, completely separate people, completely different families, they said the exact same thing to me. One said, I'm excited that I don't have to walk in line everywhere we go. Like, I mean, I'm pretty much a grown-up now, you know? Both said that. One was a guy, one was a girl. But they've also both said, I'm nervous about getting around and not knowing where I'm going. Like, not, I don't really know where I'm going and, and having to change classes and things like that. That's, that's pretty in, intimidating. And I, I can relate going from fifth grade at Sunflower Elementary School to Paola Middle School. I was in Kansas. That's why I was called Sunflower Elementary because it was the Sunflower State. Hello. But uh, Paola Middle School was awesome. was in the band. You name it. it was, I don't think they thought it through because our big band uniform said PMS right across the front. <laughs> Could have thought that one through a little bit maybe. But, but I'll tell you one thing I was super excited about, about Paola Middle School was finally I had heard that when you went to science class in seventh grade, you got to dissect something. That was, I was pumped to like, you know, get it. And like our school had frogs and there was some others. They were like, you know, the elite. They got some like little tiny pigs. And, and uh, one of my friends, they got to dissect a cat and they proved there is no heart, um, no soul in cats. Uh, just kidding, just kidding. Today... I'm excited because we're going to jump into a dissection moment. We have been in this series, When in Rome, and we've been talking about the power and the struggle of sin, that when I choose my way over God's way in any way, that's sinning. Sinning is not the act I commit, it's the authority that I've rejected in my life. And Paul has set up like a surgeon, like a attorney, he's making his case on why we can't save ourselves, why sin is deadly, and what salvation really looks like. And we continue in that journey today in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, we're just going to jump in and look at it together. Starting with verse 1, here's what Paul says, and he's going to use an example. He's going to dissect the life of Abraham, Father Abraham. So what then shall we say, that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, what did he discover in this matter? Now, what is this matter? He's talking about how do you get saved? How do you truly follow God? What did he discover in this matter? Because if, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. So, like, if Abraham was a good person and did a lot of good things for a lot of people and was justified by his works, then 
that he should go around boasting about it. <laughs> Father Abraham, I had many sons, and many sons have Father Abraham. Uh, and then we boast about it. I'm one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm. Anybody remember that in growing up in, in kids' church, maybe? No, no, just me? No, you too? Okay. It was so funny, you know, you'd, you'd start. It, it, we know now that that was children's director's way of just getting you to tire out Get some of that energy out. Right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot, turn around, turn around. Like, we did it for 18 minutes straight. I, I, they made me do it just in the corner over there just to get all that ADD out for a little bit. If, if Abraham is justified by works and all that he's done, that's what gets him saved, then he does have something to boast about. But Paul goes on to say, yeah, but not before God. It's really hard for you to boast about all your works before God. This is like, and don't, don't take offense to this, teenagers, but this is like a teenager saying to a parent with four kids, I'm just so busy right now. Oh, I've just got so many things going on. Okay, yeah, yeah. Own a home. Change some diapers. Pay some bills, right? Like, 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 when we try to boast about all the good things we have done, we can't do that before God because of all the things he has done. They, it just doesn't compare what we could do. And here Paul says something. He asks a question next that I think all of us need to get really good at asking. And, and parents, grandparents, let's get our kids really good at asking this question. Here's the question he says. What does scripture say? What does scripture say? There's a, whole lot of, there's a whole lot of great questions you could ask. Here, let me give you one great question every parent should ask, every person should ask, every parent should teach their kids to ask. Here's a great question. Ready? Write it down somewhere. What's the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do? Not just what's the fun thing to do, what's the easy thing to do, what, what, what's, the, what's the just kind of make it happen thing to do, what's the wise thing to do? And a follow-up question would be, what does Scripture say? When it's this and it's that and it's the other, but I don't understand because culture says this and the Bible says this, what does Scripture say? And I'm inviting us to train our kids and grandkids to be great deciders and that the decisions that they make would be based on the moral compass of God's word and that those decisions would be fruitful decisions, that they would grow in fruitfulness because of God being the center of their lives. What does scripture say? He says, well, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. We've learned as we've been going through this that this word righteousness really means to pass inspection. And you and I, uh, to pass inspection, we've tried to do all kinds of things. And Adam, Adam and Eve, they tried to pass inspection by when they sinned, they covered themselves with fig leaves, their most intimate parts with fig leaves because they wanted to pass inspection when God showed back up. And we can't pass inspection on our own righteousness. So what did he do? He believed and that was credited to him as passing inspection. That was credited to him as having been approved by God. There's two words in here we're gonna unpack for a moment. This word justified and credited. Everybody, everywhere, all locations, let's say the first word, say justified, justified. and credited. two very important words. Let's, let's work on the definitions of these. Justified, I, I even love the statement of that. It's uh, growing up in church, there was this little thing we would say that just as if I'd never sinned. Justified, just as if I'd 
never sin. And so the statement you can make here is, it's to be completely accepted by God. Justified, I'm justified, I'm completely accepted by God. And then credited is more of a uh, uh, math component, more of a accounting, calculating. Credited simply means transferred to your account. So to be justified by faith and credited as righteousness, there was a righteousness that was, was transferred to Abraham's account. Um, when, when, I, when, I, when, I am, when I give someone credit to where credit is due, I transfer to their account a credit. I transfer to their account trust or honor or accolades. If my son comes to me and says, Dad, I've got, a, I, I, I've got um, $86 in my account, and, and I decide to credit his account with all of my savings accounts, I'm, I'm going to credit you what I have that you didn't earn. I'm going to put all of my savings account into you your account that has $86, and once I credit your account with all of my savings, you now not only have $86, now you have $186. That's what, you know. When you are standing, you, you, you are placing your strength in your muscles and your ability to counterbalance and, and your equilibrium. When I sit down on a chair, I have credited that chair. I've transferred my trust, transferred my strength to the, to the chair and to the stability of the chair. I transfer, I credit that chair now for my ability to stay where I am. Jesus has credited your account and what you could never earn and because of what he has done, you are now justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Because of what Jesus has done and credited my account, I am, I'm, I'm completely acceptable. I'm completely accepted by God. I just have to receive the transfer. I just have to receive with my hands and believe that that is what he has done. And over the next few scriptures now, Paul is going to kind of make his case with Abraham as his example. And the reason why he's using Abraham is because Abraham is the Hebrew idol. He is the rock star. He is the father. He's like the deal. He's the one you look to father Abraham, the beginning of the Jewish nation right here. He's using him because you, you, you can look at all kinds of different people as examples, but he's telling the Jewish people, let's go back to the father of all fathers. Let's go to granddaddy Abraham. And we're going to show you what that Abraham didn't do it the way you you're trying to do it as the Jews of this day. And through the next three scriptures, he shows us, he says, now, to the one who works, okay? Uh, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. When you get paid, if your employer is coming up to you and say, I just wanted to give you this gift of your paycheck. <laughs> You're welcome. I had you in mind. No, it's not a gift. It's an obligation. They owe you pay because you have made an exchange of your time and your talent for some of their treasure. And so for the one who works, it's not credited as a gift. That's an obligation is what he's trying to show us that if you try to work for God and he gives you a gift, well, he's obligated to give you that gift if you've worked for it. He's not obligated to give you anything. That's not what it's about. However, to the one, though, who doesn't work but simply trusts God, 
who makes us totally acceptable, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is transferred, credited as being completely presentable, completely righteous. So what's he saying right here? Write it down. Here's a few ways to be accepted by God. Let me tell you how not to be accepted. We don't become accepted by God through status. Through all of the stuff we could do, all of the things we could say, all of the sermons you could preach, the amount of money you could give, you are not accepted by God through your status. Status can basically be stats on us. Status is stats on us. Our stats, our way in, coming in at six, point three, six foot three, 232 pounds, you know. Like, like all those stats to build the status of the fighter in the ring, we want to put all of our stats before God. And I, I did this and I did that and I always was there and I was faithful and I made sure that you're not acceptable by God through your status. He goes on beyond that and he says, we've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness, but under what circumstances was it credited? In other words, why was it credited to him? It, it wasn't about works. Paul says, was it after he was circumcised or before he was circumcised? He said, no, it was not after, but before. He was actually credited with righteousness before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a huge deal. It was an outward reflection of an inward covenant, a, a blood covenant outward for an inward covenant that, that, that was picked up. I don't know why they just didn't choose to pierce ears. I would have taken that all day long. Can you imagine that being part of our starting point process? Hey, before you serve a dream team, we just have one more thing for the guys. Back behind the building, if all the men will just join us for the next 20 minutes, I'd be like, I'm out, <laughs> you know. Like circumcision wasn't the deal. Like, like, was that so important? Because in now Jewish covenant and Jewish law, they were separating people. Even Peter, who followed Jesus, struggled with this. And Paul had to put him in his place because Peter, after Jesus died, rose again and ascended into heaven. And Peter was part of launching the new church. They tried to sneak back in these rules and regulations that you, you had to accept Jesus and be circumcised. And so even Paul is saying, what, we're going to start adding some stuff? Now, you could use the word circumcision for, um, was it after he was baptized? Uh, was it after he was a member of the local church? Was it after he was becoming a Baptist or a Methodist or a Lutheran or a Church of Christ? Like, after he spoke in tongues? So all of those things can become man-made ways that are, that are valuable things, but they aren't the thing that brings justification and salvation. Good thing, good things. Nothing wrong with the things. Nothing wrong with it. He received circumcision as a what? Sign. A seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then... He's the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. God is showing us that I'm gonna give you this salvation. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I am going to credit your faith in me 
before you're circumcised because I'm going to show all of the world that it's not about anything that you did. It's about who you put your faith in. So what's another one? We don't become acceptable by God through our signs, through the signs, through the, through the labels, through the, through the rituals. Okay. Now we, we invite Jesus to be the center of our lives. We, we ask Jesus into our heart. You won't find that in scripture to ask Jesus into our heart. Um, but we, we do that because the heart represents um, the integration of, of your thoughts, your emotions, and your desires. So when we invite Jesus into our heart, we're inviting him into the integration of what I think about, what I feel, what I desire most. And we invite Jesus and we begin to follow him. We, 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 are, we, are, we are, if we're not careful, just by praying a prayer after a pastor, thinking that that was that, that moment, that action was what saved us. It's, it's not the action or the how you made that action. It's when you put your faith in Jesus and you choose, I have decided to follow him. That is the justification. That is, salvation is instantaneous. But like deliverance from the past, your hangups, your holdups, your habits, your yesterdays, that can be a process, can it? Salvation I don't earn, but I, I work now to, um, to become closer and closer to him. We don't become accepted through signs. Finally, we don't become accepted by God through statutes. Not statues like the Lib Statue of Liberty. Statutes like laws. Here's what else Paul says. It wasn't through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Abraham preceded all of the law, and yet he was with God. He was following God. So he's saying it wasn't about circumcision, wasn't about following the law, wasn't about all the good works of Father Abraham. So now he makes his case. Therefore, therefore, here's what it's there for. The promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace. It may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. That's us. To those who have the faith of Abraham. So how are we accepted by God? Write this down. We are accepted by God by not our stats, not our signs, not our statutes, but by his grace through faith. By grace through faith. By his grace through our faith. So there are two important words too here. They are grace and faith. You can write down the, the definitions here. Justified and credited, grace and faith. Grace is kindness shown to someone who doesn't deserve it, cannot earn it, and will never be able to repay it. And you are saved by his kindness shown to you who you did not deserve it. You cannot, will not, have not earned it. And you will never, ever, ever be able to repay it. And you are saved by grace. Through faith, 
your faith in that grace of God, in that sacrifice of God and his son, which is trusting in something I cannot explicitly prove. So I'm saved by his grace, and that, that happens through faith. I can't prove it all the time. I can't go to the point and, and, and prove everything that I have faith in. Otherwise, it's just evidence. It's not just faith. I have to take it by faith that I'm good with God. I have to take it by faith to trust, to trust in something I can't explicitly prove. What does the word trust even mean? Trust answers the question you have been asking since birth. You have been asking a question since birth. You ask it in different ways to different people over different periods of your life. But here's the question you're asking since birth. Am I safe? Am I safe? When I trust someone, I am crediting their account. I am transferring trust to them that I am safe with them. If I trust someone with my wife, with my life, or with my wallet, my wife, my life, my wallet, I trust them means I, everything I, I, they are safe. My wife is safe with them. My life is safe. My wallet is safe, right? So I trust my kids with my wife. I don't know if I trust my kids with my life. <laughs> I sure don't trust my kids with my wallet right now. <laughs> Am I safe? This is what happens. It's, it, it's not the act of infidelity as much as it is the broken trust in infidelity. This is why I've said I'm sorry 150,000 times. How many times are we going to go over this again? I'm sorry. I should not have done this. We've talked about this a lot, but, but like it's still, mm, why? Because there's just moments where we just wonder, am I really safe with them? Am I safe with them? That's because it's broken trust. And Abraham is showing us grace and faith in his life. Paul breaks it down. He says, against all hope, <laughs> against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and he so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him. Against all hope, what was all, all the hope? Abraham, this whole idea of, of like him believing against all kinds of stuff, because if there was anybody that the, the deck was stacked against them, it was Abraham. He didn't just wake up one day and God say, you want to trust me? He's like, everything's been going good so far. I guess I will. And then everything was a slow motion run through fields of daisies like Julie Andrews and the sound of music. There were all kinds of habits and hiccups and holdups and oopsies and whoopsies. So let's talk about the four phases of the faith of Father Abraham. And these four phases of the faith of Father, Father Abraham, you go through these, the church as a whole, we go through these. These are four phases. Let me give them to you. Phase one, all right? Out of phase one, two, three, and four, phase one, God has a dream for my life. And God approaches Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm gonna make your descendants outnumber the stars in the heavens. And when does he say this to Abraham? Not when he's 21. 
when he's 75, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. In fact, his name is not even Abraham. It's Abram. Abraham means father of many nations, but Abram doesn't. And he says, I'm going to change your name, basically. I'm going to change your identity. I'm going to give you a son. God has given him a dream. And then Abraham can stiff arm the dream or he can move to phase two. And I want to, before we go to phase two, the truth is God has a dream for your life. To know him more deeply, to know him personally, to find freedom from anything holding you back, to discover a beautiful exchange from, from uh, uh, mourning and despair to hope and a beautiful future. There's this exchange, discovering purpose of who you are and who loves you and why you're on this earth. Like he has this dream for you to then not only know him and find freedom from what's holding you back and discover true purpose, but to make a difference in your world by being who he's called you to be. And God gives Abraham that same kind of dream. But Abraham has to choose just like you have to do. I decide to walk by faith towards God's dream. We say it like this in our starting point experience with if you are not connected to Timber Creek and would like to take a next step, starting point is your next step. And it's in starting point, first and third Sundays of the month at the, during the first service that we talk about basically our mission. Your God-given potential is the mission. But engaging your God-given potential is your mission. I can't engage your God-given potential for you. I can't drink the water for you. I can hopefully put salt in your mouth, but you gotta drink, you gotta drink the water. You gotta take the next steps. I'm just not getting fed around here. Pick up a spoon. Like, put the stuff on the plate. Let's go. Time to stop being spoon-fed, you baby. It's time to grow up. Engaging your God-given potential is your mission. Well, I've been there. I've done that. Until you're face-to-face with Jesus, you ain't arrived. You got more. God has more. We... We desire more. Listen, listen to me, faithful friends that have been here 25 years plus. You've seen the iterations. You've seen different pastors come and go. You've seen different taglines and, and products and from first and third home groups and services and conferences and assemblies and name changes and membership, 101, 201, 9401, whatever, 01. You've seen it all. And some of you are running the risk right now of drifting because you have thought it's just better for me to hand off to the next generation versus this is the time the next generation needs you most. One of the most important things you could do is is serve alongside the next generation. From Coffee Co. to Red Carpet to kids to youth. Grandparents, you know how many youth right now do not have a solid biblical understanding of faith being presented to them at all in the home, 166 hours out of the week. The only two hours they're getting any kind of spiritual guidance is when they're here. You need, you need the local church so it can continue to sharpen you. You need to be on a dream team more than we need you to be on a dream team. I'll tell you why. 
because there is just only certain blessings your life will ever experience that are unlocked when you serve other people. You don't get the basketfuls unless you're serving the 5,000. If you wanna be a part of the 5,000, guess what? You'll get a meal. You'll get a meal on Sundays. You're welcome. Get a meal on Sunday. But when you serve, you get to take home basketfuls. Basketfuls. I'm preaching better than you're responding. I'm just telling you. I mean, what's that? What's that? What? Nacogdoches is responding better than the broadcast location? Okay, okay. You, what, you want to give him a chance? Okay. Come on, broadcast. Let's go. All right. Is he really talking to somebody over there? I decide to walk by faith towards God's dream. Then, guess what happens? Phase four, I receive the delivery of God's dream. And I'm able to embrace it and I walk in it. Woo, this is great. And Abraham got to see, he got to be the father of many nations. You get the delivery of God's dream. And I wanna say to you that God's given Timber Creek a dream and we've decided to follow through with that dream and we're believing in faith for the delivery of God's dream. Some of that has to do with multiplying locations and multiplying our footprint in the existing locations and in, in locations yet to be discovered, but also multiplying leaders. I'll just give you a real quick update from some things like we're adding 5,000 square foot of ministry pay, space to our Nacogdoches location. It, we're, we're, we're gutting it. We're taking it inch by inch. Inch by inch, everything's a cinch. We're, we're, we're taking some time to do it ourselves because uh, we're, we're getting the, the plans and the blueprints done for this 5,000 square foot because we want to use it in the best way. Okay, we want to use it in the best way. We don't want to just kind of put something in there that we think is good. We want to do the, the right thing the first time, not the second time. Also in Groves, Groves Campus there in the Beaumont Sprawl, we have shut down live services there for an extended period of time because last week, guys from Lufkin and from Groves went down in Nacogdoches and started demoing the building there on the inside to create auditorium and kids space and lobby space right here at the broadcast location. This is kind of the hub where all the spokes go out. This is like the headquarters of what God is doing across East Texas through Timber Creek Church. And, and this is an overview of what our existing building is. We're 22 acres <clears throat> from, from here all the way over to where the train tracks are. And this is the master plan for our campus um, this is going to take us several years and several phases, but it's better for us to, launch, to, to plan way out there so that we don't inadvertently put a parking lot where a building should be, where, where we make sure that we're taking wise steps and counting the cost before buying and, 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 and committing to first pieces. But I'll just kind of lay it out for you here that, that right now, if you go back one, Miss Courtney, uh, this is our auditorium we're in right now, and this is our kids' center and our student center. We have starting point in here, and this is our chapel. Uh, now, if you go back, we're going to be doubling our kids' space, and both of these buildings are going to become full-on kids' center. We are out of space in our nursery. We, we are planning for massive growth. We can't, parents won't come if they don't have a place for their kids. Furthermore, you can't come if you don't have a place for your car. So we also need parking. You know, before you can drop your kids off, you gotta put your car up, okay? And, and so phase one really is gonna be a rethinking between these two buildings. 
and this is a long hallway, almost like a mall, like a big mall hallway. Um, this is gonna go to about right here, okay? This is a new auditorium. This will become the student center. This will become the new auditorium. Here's new development space, all kinds of fun stuff. But we're gonna, we're gonna start here. And we're gonna take it piece by piece, inch by inch, um, phase by phase. But, but this, we believe that this is going to be the epicenter. This is gonna be the regional training center. And years ago, beyond me, Years ago, that was prophesied over this church that we would be a regional training center, a regional like a, a outpost that we would be sending out from here. And that's why we gotta multiply leaders. You can't have great churches without great leaders. We're excited about what God is doing. But beyond that, here's a, a front, the front kind of view of, of <clears throat> just some uh, modernization. And we're gonna be taking the chapel and a portion of it will be a covered patio and, and, and have a, if you go to this angle, uh, have an outdoor baptistry out here and space for a community destination. There's gonna be a big path that goes all the way around this campus. Why are, we, why are we doing these things? Because we have no problem with Jerry Jones doing these things. We're doing these things because we have the greatest story ever. And we believe that a, a family and neighborhoods and cities that really rally around the central point of Jesus and his church, that's a good thing. And so if we can rally around football stadiums, why can't we rally around the local church? And there is nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. The mobilized church is the hope of the world. And all of these are part of phases that we're going to jump in and we'll have more, more when do we start we're working on it we're, we're you know we want to be diligent we, we're we're receiving income from all in and we're setting aside monies to be able to do these things in pieces and in phases and right now if you are if you've been awake you know that even interest rates are really hard but we're not gonna we're not gonna wait around just because of an interest rate we're gonna do what God's called us to do and if he's called us to do something an interest rate is two percent more than what we really could do if we waited for four years we're gonna do what God says us to do, not what the bank says. Okay, we're gonna trust God first and we'll figure it out. God's been building his church in the middle of all kinds of low interest rates and all kinds of high interest rates. He's gonna build his church. Let's trust him. Let's put our faith in him, not in America, which is, by the way, a pretty good idea and pretty more secure when my hope is built on nothing less than the White House and all of its stuff or in his blood and righteousness. So, that's all phase one, two, and four, but we missed phase three, didn't we? Phase three is this little like, woo, this is a big one. And that's where I walk through the messy middle where God gives Abraham a dream and Abraham decides to walk by faith through that dream. And eventually God receives that dream through Isaac and Isaac has Jacob and, and, and then Jacob has the 12 sons of, of Jacob and the, his name is changed to Israel and that's the nation of Israel. Like, like, but they all had to walk through the messy middle just like you have to as well. Here's a few thoughts that happen in the messy middle. Detours. When you're on your way, you can make a detour. Abram made a detour by, instead of waiting for God to provide the dream, his wife Sarah said, I'm too old, my oven ain't baking no bread. That's a brand new oven right over there named Hagar. And so, you know, she says, I'm not gonna be able to get pregnant and um, just, why don't you go have sex with Hagar and we'll have a son through them. And, and before, you know, she's washing the dishes and she says to Abraham, she looks back and he's already, he's already out of the tent, you know? 
Okay. <laughs> we had a detour. That's how I read the Bible. I'm sorry, but you know, you, sh- you ought not do that. Distractions. War breaks out. Lot wants to do his thing. Lot goes to Sodom and Gomorrah. Like there's all these distractions. Discord. There, there's internal fighting with Abraham and his family. There's obviously delays. It's not until, it's not until Sarah is 90 years old and Abraham's 99, 100. So he waits 25 years for this dream. And I wonder if some of you, you have faith in God, but there's been a detour. There's been a distraction. There's been a family thing. There's been a hurt. There's been a wound. There's been a waiting period. There's been a delay in your life. You say, God, I, I want to trust in what I can't prove, but it's hard to even prove anything right now. Waiting for the child to turn around, waiting for the pregnancy to come, waiting for the cancer to be healed, waiting for your dad to say the words that you wish he would say. It's the messy middle. And a life surrendered to Christ doesn't get to bypass the messy middle. You don't get to walk around it. But yea, do I walk through the valley of the messy middle. I won't fear because you're with me. Do you know what fear is? Counterfeit faith. Here's what's crazy. Many people have unnecessary fear. It's counterfeit faith. Trusting in something you can't explicitly prove that actually slows you down and makes you worried and gets you scared. And so I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of what people would say. I'm afraid of losing it. I'm afraid of this. And so what I do is I have faith in what will go wrong. It's counterfeit faith, fear is. I put my faith in what will go wrong instead of faith in who I know is right no matter what circumstances look like. Okay, so in these detours, distractions, discord, and delays, there are two things happening as we wrap up today. The first is this, I'm experiencing the discomfort of trials designed to develop me. Trials can develop you, but guess what else you're gonna experience? I'm gonna experience distraction of temptation designed to destroy me. In the middle of the messiness, you're gonna face trials and you're going to face temptation. Here's the thing about trials that develop you though, those are from God. The enemy is never gonna want to do something, put you through something that is going to develop you and make you stronger. He only has a desire to steal, kill, and destroy. But you will face trials that can develop you, but you'll also face distractions of temptation from the enemy that are designed to destroy you. And here's what's crazy about life. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between a trial and a difference from the temptation. The, the factor 
that differentiates the, the stethoscope that you put on is, God, I'm listening. What are you saying? God, how are you moving? God, and I put my focus on him and not the trial, him and not the temptation. And it's through his word and it's through his spirit and it's through his nudging. It's through his prompting. It's through being around other people with like-minded faith, not the opinion of what's happening in Nacogdoches County. Anonymous member, go to God. You don't even have to be anonymous with God. You can ask him anything and he's not even going to be upset. Go to him for the stuff and you can learn what the difference is. But, but until you get closer to him, you, until you understand and just take time and that ta it just takes time. It take, commitment gets you to the starting line Consistency gets you to the finish line. And is it a consistent stretching of that faith that helps you then differentiate? Oh, man, the enemy's after me. Actually, man, enemy's after me. Enemy told my wife that I've been, I've been cheating on her, and now she's after me too. No, no, I promise you it's not the enemy that told your wife. No, that's God trying to save your life and save your wife and save your marriage because this can develop you. Or you can be tempted to not get developed and then the enemy uses it to destroy you. So, what's it gonna be? In the mayhem of your messy middle. In faith, God, you're gonna, you can use anything. Not everything has a reason. Everything happens for a purpose. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Junk happens. Terrible things happen because we live in a, in a fallen world. But everything can serve a purpose when it is surrendered to God. Everything can work together for those that put their faith in Christ Jesus. The disciples were watching their Savior, their Messiah, their rabbi die stripped naked, beaten within an inch of his life, flogged, bruised, his beard plucked out, crown of thorns. They're watching from the sidelines him die. Naked in front of a crowd, nailed to a tree. They were saying to themselves, how could anything good come out of this? And yet, they were looking at the most beautiful thing that has ever happened in the world. They just couldn't see it yet. But their faith could get them to the next place to see what they couldn't yet see. So in the meantime, if you're in the messy middle and you haven't had that delivery of God's dream, <laughs> let me give you a little life hack today. <clears throat> How do you fake it till you make it? Let me, let me start by saying this. You don't fake it. <laughs> you can't. You're not going to fake it till you make it. How to, how, how, here's what's better. How to take it till you make it. How do you really take it till you make it? And I mean, take it. Oh, you heathens. That's exactly what I was thinking. Now, how do you take it? Well, how do you take your faith? How do you take it? Well, number one, I need to like take it. <laughs> I need to take it. The apostle Paul to the church of Ephesus he unravels. Last year, I, I, I did a whole series of messages on the armor of God. 
And when it gets to this particular piece of the armor, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, in addition to all this, the shoes of peace and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt that holds everything together, truth, he says, in addition to all this, take up, take up the shield of faith. He says, you'll quench the fiery darts of the wicked one when you do this. Here's the thing about a shield. You don't sleep with it. You set it down. And you got to take it up. And it's not, about, it's not about taking it up when you were 14 years old. A lot of life's happened since then. It's not about taking it up when whew, the sin was exposed and you had to go through some development and you hurt some people and you're on a track, you're on a progression to get better and healthy. It's not about when you said in front of an audience, I do until death do us part and for richer or for poorer. You, you take up, you take up those covenant vows every day. The same way you take up faith every day and you, 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 you take it and you live with it. You live by faith. You can't, you can't take up grandma's shield. She needs it for herself. Now she'll cover you in her prayers, oh my goodness. Thank you God for praying grandmas and praying mamas and praying daddies. We wanna cover, we wanna be like that, that, that eagle that covers our children in prayer with our own faith. But at some point, they gotta develop a faith of their own and they gotta take it up on their own. You gotta take it up. Yesterday wasn't enough taking up. You take it up every day. So what does it look like to take it up today? That stuff that you're fearful over, the stuff that you're trying to rely on in your own strength, you take up the shield of faith, trusting in what you can't explicitly prove, knowing that you're accepted by God so you don't have to prove anything, but you are in the hands of God and he's got this no matter what it might look like. No matter how naked you feel, no matter how bruised you feel, no, how, no matter pinned up against a wall you feel, might just be the beginning of the most beautiful thing that could ever happen because you are gonna put your, take up your faith and put it in the right something. And that right something isn't your own faith, isn't your own prayer, it's the person of Jesus, him and him alone. Listen, every single one of us are, die, are gonna die, it's guaranteed, it's guaranteed. And this is a popular question we may have thought about before. If Jesus were to meet you before you enter into heaven and ask you this question, why should I let you into heaven? Why should I let you into heaven today? There will be some that will say, I believe in the existence of God. I be I be I've believed in all this. And that won't get you into heaven. Just believing in the existence of God. You might say, well, I tried my best to be a good Christian. I tried my best to be a good Christian. and Did a lot of good things for a lot of, for a lot of people. Did stuff in private nobody will ever know about. And those works is not what makes you acceptable. I tried, I tried really hard, I know. That's not what he's after. There's rewards for those things. 
But that's not the entrance into heaven. That's not what gets you in. Hey, you know what? I believe with all my heart. I believe with all my heart. In other words, I put faith in my faith. I put faith in my faith. And that alone is not what you're put to put your faith in. I bit my bottom lip harder than anybody else bit their bottom lip going to church and church camp and you name it. Why should I let you into heaven? It really comes down to this. Because of what Jesus has done for me. And I was justified by him and he credited to my account his perfect life to cover my imperfect life. His perfect living to cover my imperfect living. His goodness to cover my lack of goodness. His blood that covered the need for me to shed my own blood to find acceptance with God. And instead, I have been covered and I lived underneath that covenant with him because of what Jesus did for me. So not only do I need to like take it, take it up. But as we close today, um, I don't mean to like all of a sudden raise the nerd level by 24%, but I'm gonna nerd you a little bit by giving you an illustration from Star Trek. <laughs> um, and uh, grew up watching Star Trek. Captain Kirk and Captain Picard, and I didn't get into all the other Babylon 74s and stuff, but, but, I, but I watched Star Trek with my dad a lot. He read all the books, and I started reading them, and it was just something I, I liked. My dad liked it. I liked it. We liked it together. It was something fun. And there's, this, there's these scenes almost in every single episode or every single movie where the Star Trek Enterprise, the Starship Enterprise, is under attack by some enemy. And I mean photon torpedoes and lasers and you name it and the and the ship is going like that and in the old movies you know um it'll hit and they'll all go like you know and, and it's it, they're just getting attacked from all from all sides and captain kirk will 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 turn on the intercom and go down to the engines and engine room and says you know, he'll say you know scotty um, put all power to forward shields because they were being attacked up front and they had to, and so the lights would blink and they'd have to lose this engine and lose that engine. So all power, all power would be put to the front to just save them. I wonder what it would look like for you and I to reroute all power to forward shield, meaning this, every worry, is draining you of some power. Every element of you trying to work it out yourself is draining you of some power. Every habit that you're trying to keep a secret is trying to drain you of some power. Every sin is draining you of power. Every, every grudge is draining you of power. Every thought of revenge is train, draining you of power. Every bitterness, every piece of bitterness, every criticism, uh, every morsel of gossip drains you of power. What would it look like for you to reroute all that power to 
to trusting in him. That's what faith looks like. Would you pray with me today? Friends, I've been there where I have drained my power on secret sin, drained my power on trying to be a good pastor's kid, trying to earn acceptance by doing this, that, and the other, trying to earn prominence by working as hard as I could to get a few more dollars in the bank. And it's all fig leaves. And it's worthless. And it wasn't until I, I learned and then had to relearn and had to retrain and then retrain again to put my trust and my hope and all power forward, not to yesterday, not to what's behind me, but forward to what God has already done and what God wants to continue to do in my life. Where's your faith? Where's the power that you're draining, uh, you're using right now? What's it focused on? Can you do some inventory with Jesus in this moment? Maybe you'd ask Jesus, Jesus, am I truly putting all my faith in you or am I putting my faith in my works? Am I putting faith in my status and in my signs, in my statutes? God, it, I wanna put it in you, your son. Thank you for your grace. Because of your kindness, I get saved. I get to be saved because of your kindness. I can't repay it, I can't earn it. I can't. Thank you. Maybe you're in a detour today, a distraction, a delay, a discord. Father, thank you that you walk with us. May we now put all power to forward shields. Take up the shield of faith where we can quench every fiery dart of the evil one. We stand on that promise. And we thank you for that promise. We ask it in Jesus' powerful name. Everybody said amen.